It's Thursday, March the 9th. In this episode of Going Viral, Professor Michael Toole brings us up to speed on the new bivalent vaccines, the fifth booster, and the new winter trifecta, influenza, COVID, and RSV. The Going Viral podcast from HealthEd shares the latest on COVID-19, with leading voices from across Australia providing medical professionals with up-to-date information from reliable sources. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me for an update on COVID-19 and a few other communicable diseases of concern. Starting with the COVID-19 situation globally, um, there have been 680 million plus reported cases. Most people feel that the real figure is at least twice that. There have been 6.8 million deaths reported So globally, the case fatality ratio for reported cases is 1%, but in Australia, it's been much lower. I don't know if you can see this graph very clearly, um, but you can see the peak globally was in early 2022, when the daily average uh, cases reported was uh, more than 3 million. It's down now to... Uh, levels comparable to early 2020. In Australia, we've reported 11.4 million cases and um, just over 19,000 deaths. Now, that's a case fatality ratio of 0.2%. So it's one-fifth of the global estimate. Now, Australia ranks number 14 globally, for total number of reported cases. So that's the raw numbers. Um, When you look at cases per thousand population, Australia ranks number 20 among um, countries with a population more than half a million. Uh, Australia's case rate, however, is significantly higher than both the US and UK. Now, the good news is Australia's COVID-19 death rate per million population ranks very low globally, around about number 100. But it is higher than other countries in the region, such as Japan, South Korea, Singapore and Thailand. Now, this is the graph of daily new cases. In Australia, you'll see, unlike the global graph, there's almost nothing to see in 2020 and 2021. So the pandemic in Australia really began in early 2022. And this coincided with the dropping of most um, preventive mitigations across the country, except for vaccination. It's hard to get accurate data on what are the current most common Omicron subvariants, uh, but from what I can see, they are XBB, BQ1.1, B2, and BA5. And again, like globally, you'll see that the number of cases daily has come down and is in a trough. Uh, But the effective reproductive rate is still more than one. So that decline has stopped at around 18,000 reported cases per week. Like I said earlier, Australia is in the top 20 for cumulative cases per million people. You'll see Australia's in the same category as the US, Uh, much of Western Europe, Japan, 
um, South Korea and New Zealand. The graph of new deaths in Australia is a similar shape, except for that significant peak in 2020. Um, most of those deaths were in Victoria. In fact, 86% of deaths in 2020 were in Victoria. Then you can see similar peaks in early 2022, mid-2022, and late 22, early 23. So we're not out of the woods yet. In the first two months of this year, 2,409 Australians have died with COVID, compared with just 947 in all of 2020, so it's 12 months, and about the same number in all of 2021. So again, in terms of deaths, um, most have occurred since early 2022. Hospitalizations, a similar um, picture. Um, it's worth noting that despite um, hearing about winter preparedness um, quite often, um, and that's legitimate because there'll be influenza and RSV as well, but you can see the peaks in hospitalisation have been in the middle of summer, 2022, then the middle of winter, 2022, and then again in the middle of summer, late 2022, early 23. So unlike influenza, there is no clear seasonal trend for this virus. Now, excess mortality is tracked by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Um, their recent report um, reported deaths between January and November 2022. There were 174,000 plus deaths that occurred in that period, and that is 15% higher than the historical average. That average is based on deaths between 2017 and 2019 and 2021. 2020 is not included because there was a significant decline in deaths reported that year. Now, in those 11 months in 2022, there were 8,000 or more, um, 8,800 deaths due to COVID that was certified by a doctor. And that was about 80% of all the death certificates that mentioned COVID. So four and five of those actually died because they had COVID. Deaths from other um, conditions have also increased. Dementia deaths were 15% above the baseline average. Deaths due to diabetes were 19% higher. Um, the, however, for cancer, the age standardised rate for deaths due to cancer was just below the baseline or historical average. Um, deaths due to cerebrovascular um, disease were also lower than the average. When you look at respiratory diseases not including COVID, there was a 6% uh, increase over the baseline average in November. Um, that increase was largely due to chronic lower respiratory diseases, um, whereas there was um, a decrease in deaths due to pneumonia and influenza. Now let's look at vaccination. Last November, when I last spoke to you, 
This was the percent of uh, coverage um, for the total population, not the eligible population. And it shows about 80 plus percent for second doses, about 55 percent for third doses, and about 20 percent for um, fourth doses. Now, this is the picture in February, it's barely changed. If it's changed at all, it's by a couple of decimal points. So we really have made very little progress in expanding the proportion of Australians that are protected by vaccines. Now let's look at vaccination coverage of eligible population uh, by state and territory uh, as of February this year. Um, nationally, 72% of adults have had three doses. That has only increased by 4% since June last year. So that's a pretty um, disappointing um, development. Now, if you look down the states and territories, there's a lot of variation. Uh, most strikingly between Queensland, 65.5%, and West Australia, almost 20% higher. If you look at fourth doses, the highest is um, nationally, it's about 45%. But 78% of aged care residents have received four doses. The highest rate is in the ACT, just over 50%. The lowest, worryingly, is in the Northern Territory. Now, when you look at children 5 to 15 that have had two doses, it's barely more than 50%. This is quite puzzling to me because Australia has one of the highest coverage rates for the routine childhood vaccines in the world. So something is preventing parents, half the parents in Australia, from getting their children fully vaccinated. Again, Queensland has the lowest coverage, 43%, and the highest by far is the ACT at almost 75%. Now, Given those differences in Queensland and West Australia, I looked at COVID deaths per thousand reported cases in Queensland, which is 1.5 per thousand. Compare that with 0.7 per thousand in West Australia, so a half. COVID deaths per 100,000 population in Queensland, 51 per thousand K, per 100 K. Um, whereas in West Australia, it was 34 per 100 K. So I can't find many other reasons why these rates would be so different between the two states other than their booster coverage. Note well, however, that the highest COVID-19 death rate in Australia has been in Victoria. So 2.5 per thousand cases and 108 per 100,000 population, followed by New South Wales, 1.6 and 77 respectively. I haven't seen a very good explanation of why Victoria um, has the highest rate, except that Victoria got off to a very um, high rate early in the pandemic. In 2020, 87% of all cases, uh, deaths, and 2021, 62%. Since then, there hasn't been very much difference 
between Victoria and New South Wales. Now, new vaccines that have been approved by the TGA and new recommendations by Hatagi. The TGA has approved both new bivalent, that's the original virus plus BA4, BA5, produced by Pfizer and Moderna. Um, and they should be available in mid-March. I've seen different dates. In fact, I have seen one date, March the 6th, um, for the Pfizer, and the Moderna will follow later in the month. Atagi has signalled that from now on, all adults will be eligible for a booster six months after their previous dose or a COVID-19 infection. Now, that's a shift for their announcements on fourth dose boosters, fifth and probably sixth. Um, so now everyone will be eligible after six months and Atagi will give their opinions on any new vaccines that arrive in the meantime. This brings Australia in line with the European Union. According to Moderna trial data, in subjects with no previous COVID infection, the new bivalent vaccine led to almost five times the neutralising antibody response compared with their original monovalent vaccine. The effect was slightly less in people over 65 years, but it was still quite strong. In subjects with a prior infection, there was actually a larger, fewer, 5.4-fold 5 increase in neutralising antibodies. The vaccine also exhibited cross-neutralisation against Omicron BQ11 and XBB, both of which um, exist in Australia. Now, although the data came from separate studies, so there was no direct comparison between the BA4, BA5 vaccine and the BA1 vaccine bivalent. Um, from the data from each of those trials shows that the BA4, BA5 vaccine is superior to the earlier bivalent. And there was no change in adverse outcomes, either mild ones or severe. So what do we need to do to be, have a better vaccination situation in Australia. It's essential that booster levels be increased. If you've only had two doses, you're really no longer protected against the current variants and subvariants. Third and fourth doses in adults and second doses in children. I think what's been lacking is an innovative mass media campaign. Um, Remember the road safety, smoking cessation and SunSmart ads? These really caught your attention. I've not seen that um, in any mass media campaigns around COVID. Plus, we need research into the reasons why people are not taking up the boosters or vaccinating their children. We just don't know, for example, why 28% of adults have not had a third dose. And then we need to um, support community engagement with communities where um, these booster rates are low. And remember, this worked in the early days of the HIV pandemic. What I mean is community engagement. For general practitioners, unless there's an urgent reason to give patients a booster immediately, 
we should wait until the Pfizer and Moderna BA4, BA5 bivalent vaccines are available, and that will be very soon. Now, long COVID I talked about extensively last time. I spoke to you in November. Just a reminder, long COVID-19 or post-acute COVID-19 syndrome is a multi-system disease causing disability due to long-term health effects manifesting mainly as fatigue, um, difficulty in breathing, and cognitive dysfunction. But up to 200 different symptoms have been described. WHO defines long COVID as the persistence of symptoms more than three months after the initial infection and lasting at least two months. In the absence of any national long COVID database in Australia, Estimates of its prevalence in Australia rely on studies conducted both here, and there's only been two, and overseas. Now, these studies report a broad range of, of prevalence, but the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, in a very comprehensive report, estimates in Australia it would be between 5 and 10% three months after infection. Now, that equates to between half a million and one million Australians who have, or have had, or will have long COVID. Um, and this condition may persist for at least two years. Research suggests that long COVID is due to a sustained, inappropriate inflammatory response, which has no or little correlation with the severity of the initial illness. There's also a reduction in cortisol, which plays a major anti-inflammatory role in the body. Research indicates that females, people aged between 30 and 49, ethnic minorities and the disadvantaged are at higher risk of long COVID. In addition, smokers, overweight and obese, and those with certain pre-existing conditions, such as chronic lung disease, are also at higher risk. There's good evidence that a third dose booster reduces the risk of long COVID by up to 50%. Data from the US and UK demonstrate a significant impact on the labour workforce, extrapolating to Australia up to 300,000 Australians could be out of work due to long COVID by the end of 2023. There is no evidence-based specific treatment for long COVID, rather it's recommended a multidisciplinary approach. Now I won't repeat the detail I gave you last year, but there is currently a um, House of Representatives inquiry into long COVID and into multiple infections. Now they received 564 sub submissions, which is very high for a health inquiry. Now I co-wrote the Burnett Institute um, submission and our main recommendations were that there's an urgent need to have a standard definition of long COVID in Australia that's consistent across all jurisdictions and a national long COVID database. At the moment we are basically um, blind to, to what is the situation. Australia's long COVID plan should include a clear strategy of communication and engagement with the public so they understand that the COVID-19 pandemic is ongoing. 
we need to generously fund all um, types of research, discovery science, prevention, treatment and care, and the health, social and economic impact of long COVID, as well as studies that evaluate treatment and management approaches, including clinical trials of promising drugs. Um, we need to develop partnerships with community organisations, working with culturally and linguistically diverse communities to educate and promote access to health services for the management of long COVID. Um, we believe that the current um, Medicare reimbursement for consultations is not adequate for the diagnosis and management of long COVID. Um, in particular, uh, the initial um, consultation to exclude other causes of these symptoms, um, which the Mayo Clinic recommends should be one hour. Um, we feel that um, the government should expand the eligibility for antiviral drugs to those peak age groups vulnerable to long COVID, which are 35 to 55 years of age. We know if you prevent severe illness initially, there'll be a lower rate or a lower risk of long COVID. Uh, we need to fund the expansion of public long COVID specialty clinics, given that the current clinics, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, have waiting lists that are many months long. Um, and these clinics should be established in regional centres and capital cities across the country. And we feel that the government should consider the inclusion of people with debilitating long COVID-19 in the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Now, I was a co-author in this paper, which was published last month, uh, What Can Australia Learn from the United States When Establishing the New Centre for Disease Control? Now, my five co-authors and myself all worked at the USCDC um, in the past. Now, we believe an Australian, what we call a National Centre for Disease Prevention and Control, needs to be independent, have a focus on prevention, and a scope beyond communicable diseases, including um, non-communicable diseases, reproductive health, environmental and occupational health, injuries, and mental health. Of course, in a future pandemic, this NCDPC could enhance the following, standardising surveillance and reporting, quickly commissioning relevant research and modelling, and sharing the findings with the public, providing up-to-date information on the evidence for mitigating interventions, developing a nationally consistent communication strategy, and maybe instead of states and territories introducing mitigations across their jurisdiction, um, the CDC could promote a traffic light system which is used in EU countries, um, looking at the, uh, initially the public health unit level and if feasible, the LGA. Now, could H5N1 be the next pandemic? Since late 2021, a variety of H5N1 or avian influenza has killed hundreds of millions of wild and farmed birds, mainly in the Northern Hemisphere, in every continent except Australia and Antarctica. And this is a new variant 
a clay 2.3.44b. And this wave has been termed highly pathogenic avian influenza. It has also infected mammals such as sea otters, seals, foxes and bears. The virus entered South America late last year with catastrophic outbreaks in wild birds and marine mammals. Now, what concerns most virologists is an outbreak on a very large mink farm with 52,000 animals in Spain, where mink-to-mink -mink transmission was identified. Now, minks have a respiratory tract very similar to humans. And we know that COVID spread from humans to mink and then back from mink to humans in Denmark. Now, just to note that the 11-year-old Cambodian child who recently died from avian influenza was not infected with the current pandemic strain, but rather a lineage that's been commonly found in Cambodia. Now, according to WHO, between January 20, uh, 2003 and January 2023, there have been 868 cases of human infection with avian influenza around the world and 457 of those um, died. However, only six of these cases and two deaths occurred since the beginning of 2021 when this new pandemic arose. So far, all human cases have occurred in people exposed to infected birds, and WHO believes the likelihood of human-to-human transmission is very low, but it's important to monitor circulation of flu in birds and mammals. And we have a very well-established system of surveillance in Australia. Now, it's recommended to avoid direct contact with sick or dead wild birds, poultry and wild animals, and report immediately outbreaks to local authorities. So there's no need for alarm, but it is a reminder that a new pandemic could just be a few viral mutations away. Japanese and Murray Valley encephalitis. As of the 23rd of February, there have been 47 confirmed or probable cases of JEV, uh, 14 in New South Wales, 13 in Victoria, and then fewer in the other states and territories. Now, seven people have died, which is a case fatality ratio of 15%. Now, the Victorian Department of Health conducted a zero survey in three vulnerable regions of Northern Victoria, now, one in 30 were positive, and they were mainly men. So the department has expanded eligibility for free JV vaccination to seven LGAs. Now, this year, Victoria reported its first death from Murray Valley encephalitis since 1974, and New South Wales reported its first case since 2011. Now, both these viruses are transmitted via mosquitoes, and of course, education of patients about protection against bites is very important, particularly in areas recently affected by floods and those with large areas of stagnant water. Invasive group A streptococcus is a new variant imported from the UK. It's called M1UK and has been associated with surges in scarlet fever in the UK and the Netherlands. Now, IGAS can cause sepsis, meningitis, toxic shock syndrome, and flesh-eating disease. Now, if you see someone with, initially, something like scarlet fever, 
who develop severe symptoms. This should raise alertness and you should report it. Now researchers have found that M1UK causes a five-fold enhancement of toxin compared with the ancestral strep A. Now IJS is a notifiable disease in Australia. There were about 500 cases in the last quarter of 2022 and more than 300 have been already reported this year. Now there is an mRNA-based vaccine. It's currently being trialled and hopefully that will be available in the coming 12 months. Finally, MPOX, or what was known as monkeypox, has not been a notifiable disease in Australia since November last year. But when it was, between June and October 2022, 140 cases were reported. Most of those were in Victoria and New South Wales. Most cases were acquired overseas, although there was some local transmission in Victoria. Globally, more than 87,000 cases have been reported in 110 countries, uh, with 94 deaths. Now, two doses of the recommended, it's the most recent smallpox vaccine developed in Denmark, are now readily available in Australia. So there's no uh, reason why people can't get vaccinated. Um, for referrals, you should contact, if someone who you suspect ha might have MPOX, contact the health department or um, a health organisation um, that serves the LGBTQIA community, such as Thorn Harbour in Melbourne and Acon in Sydney. Thank you for your attention. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.